0: Welcome to a special edition of the Fastest Five Minutes presented by Kroll & Mooring. We are your co-hosts for this edition, Peter Ayer, Addie Cliff, and Allison Skager, bringing you a summary of significant government contracts legal and regulatory developments that no government contracts lawyer or executive should be without. And this is a special edition of the podcast focused on recent developments relating to domestic preferences. Addy, why don't we start with you? Can you tell us a little bit about the recent developments that are affecting contractors in this space?
1: Sure, Peter, thanks. I would describe this as a very hot topic for contractors. The Biden administration in particular has been hyper-focused on promoting U.S. industry and U.S. workers from day one. And the result is that there's been quite a bit of activity in this space. So going back to January of 2021, one of the very first executive orders issued by the Biden administration was the ensuring the future is made in all of America by all of America, America's workers executive order. And that really set the tone in terms of this priority. So that particular executive order, which is playing out now in some of the more recent developments I'll explain, required all executive agencies to perform a review of any applicable Made in America laws. I'm using that as a comprehensive term because there's a lot of those different laws. And to determine how the agency was interpreting, implementing the respective laws and regulations, minimizing the issuance of waivers, and really putting resources around enforcement that executive order also directed the office of management and budget to create a centralized office the made in america office which among other things provides a centralized waiver review process for those various domestic preference regimes and requirements my own experience having done this for almost two decades now uh, working in this space is that the domestic preference space has always been incredibly challenging for contractors there's a myriad of different regimes They all have different rules, different tests for determining origin, different exceptions. And so this recent flurry of activity that we're seeing in this space, which is creating new requirements, imposing heightened scrutiny on the existing requirements has only made it harder. And of course, I should probably note that all of this is happening at a time when companies have been experiencing really significant disruptions in their global supply chains. In short, there's a lot going on and more on the horizon from a compliance standpoint.
0: Addie, that's a great overview. Um, Can you talk about some of the recent regulatory actions coming out of this increase focused on domestic preferences?
1: Yeah, let me hit on a few key changes. So I mentioned the creation of the Made in America office that's headed by the Made in America director. This office both publishes and reviews proposed agency waivers with a view really towards minimizing the use of waivers. So as a practical matter, this office has added an administrative layer to the waiver process, and it's also affected agencies' flexibility in the sense that agencies now have to justify their proposed waivers to another party. Uh, we've also seen a number of key changes to the oldest domestic preference regime, the Buy American Act, the BAA, So last year, after a long period with no changes to that regime, we saw a few changes that occurred. First, the the component test to qualify as a domestic end product or construction material was increased from 50 percent, which had been in effect for a very long time, up to 55 percent. And then in addition, the FAR Council created a new and more onerous rule for end products and construction materials that are predominantly iron and steel, requiring that for at least 95% of the content, all iron and steel manufacturing processes take place in the US. So then on the heels of those relatively recent changes in March of this year, while contractors were still adjusting to those changes, the FAR Council issued a final rule initiating a further phased increase in the required cost of domestically manufactured components. So that's going to go up to 60% in October, then it'll go up to 65% in 2024. And finally, all the way up to 75% in 2029. Uh, This final rule also created a framework to impose higher price evaluation preferences on end products and components that are deemed critical. So if someone's offering a foreign end product or component, this is the evaluation preference that gets applied. Uh, the details on those super price preferences, as I'm calling them in terms of, you know, what is critical, what's covered and, and what is the specific additional evaluation price preference that's going to be applied, that's going to be implemented through later rulemaking. So we're still watching to see what comes of that. And then finally, I'll note, we haven't seen some of the more impactful changes that the FAR Council is considering with respect to the BAA. So there's been discussion of eliminating the exception from the component test for COTS products, commercially available off-the-shelf products and eliminating the current BAA waiver for commercial item information technology products. So I would just say that, you know, those things are still on the table and we could see additional changes down the road.
0: And Addie, it's really, it's not just the executive branch that's focused on domestic preferences. It's also been the Hill and some recent legislation. Um, Can you talk about the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act? Sometimes we refer to that as IAJA and the statutory requirements that attach to that significant federal funding that's going to be pushed out uh, over the coming months and years.
1: Absolutely. This is a really big issue for companies that are anywhere in the supply chain for large infrastructure projects. So under the IIJ, the US is investing billions and billions of dollars into various infrastructure projects. But that federal funding, as it often does, comes with certain strings attached, and in particular the Build America, Buy America title of the act, the BABA, as we call it, because we love fun acronyms in the government contracting world. So the IIJ Buy America requirements cover a broad swath of infrastructure projects, broader than the mass transportation projects that have been covered historically by various Buy America statutes. There are three general restrictions for infrastructure projects that are funded in whole or in part with federal grants. So for iron and steel products, all the manufacturing processes for that iron and steel from melting forward, has to occur in the US. For construction materials, all the manufacturing processes have to occur in the US. And then finally, for manufactured products, the product has to be manufactured in the US and the cost of domestic components has to be greater than 55% of the cost of all components. Notably, no exception from the component test for commercially available off-the-shelf items. There are certain waivers that the various granting agencies can invoke, so public interest waiver, non-availability, unreasonable cost where you know, supplying domestic product would increase the cost of the project by more than 25%, but those are subject to requirements and that heightened scrutiny that I described before. Um, these requirements went into effect in May of this year, so just a few months ago, and many companies are in fact starting to see reference to the IIJ Buy america requirement in new requests for information, request for proposal. Um, And then finally, similar to what we saw in 2009 with the Recovery Act funding and the Buy America requirement, you know, this is going to have a long tail. We would expect to see this requirement for years to come as that funding trickles down.
0: That's perfect. Addie, you work with lots and lots of companies in this space. What are some of the challenges that you're seeing contractors face with respect uh, to these new requirements?
1: Yeah. So as a threshold issue, I think there's a pretty significant question around how the requirements are going to be interpreted and implemented by all the different agencies that will be issuing the grant funding. And there's quite a large number of different agencies that are getting this grant funding for infrastructure projects. Uh, Many of those agencies were waiting on issuing their own guidance or regulations until OMB issued general guidance. The statute actually directed OMB to issue guidance to the agencies. OMB didn't issue that guidance until April 18th, which was less than a month before the actual requirements went into effect. So what we saw then was agencies had to scramble to try to get their own guidance in place. Uh, And a lot of them haven't done so yet. I would also point out that the OMB guidance itself is pretty high level and focused largely on waivers and the waiver process. And so it doesn't answer a lot of questions that contractors have like, How do you determine whether a particular item is an iron and steel product or a manufactured product or how do you determine what constitutes the manufactured product versus a component or subcomponent and these interpretations do matter in terms of what is and is not compliant so we have this situation now that we're seeing where companies are getting the requirements they're getting inquiries about their ability to comply but they're not sure how to determine whether they comply Uh, We know some agencies are likely to use their historic approach to buy America, I would say the Federal Transit Administration, in particular, the FTA, but other agencies don't have existing regimes that we can point to, to say, you know, this is where we think they're going to land. So, in short, there's a regulatory compliance issue that's butting up against the commercial challenges that companies are also facing in terms of, you know, do we have to change our supply chain to meet these requirements.
0: So it sounds like a lot of moving parts. Um, Allison, what can companies be doing now to get out in front of and prepare for these requirements?
2: Thanks, Peter. So as we see it, there are two main pieces that companies should be thinking about in preparing for these requirements. First is on the business side. So this means getting a handle on the types of projects the company expects to pursue, the agencies at issue, the different products and materials that the company would be furnishing. And then second, on the regulatory compliance side, companies should be paying close attention to the relevant agencies and watching to see whether those agencies have issued any guidance, solicited industry input already, or issued any proposed or executed waivers. Given the breadth of the spending at play here under the IJA, it's a lot to get your arms around. So one of the things we've been doing to stay on top of everything here, for example, is keeping a matrix that tracks all of the agency guidance, regulations, and waivers that are coming down. In terms of those waivers some agencies have already issued pretty broad temporary waivers that will give the agency and industry time to prepare. While we're seeing other agencies issuing more targeted, but in some cases that appear to be longer term waivers to address specific programs or specific materials and articles that the agency already knows might be problematic in terms of these requirements. So to sum up, this is an evolving area that requires attention and input by people in program and contract management, procurement, and legal and compliance roles.
0: That's great. And obviously, this is going to be something we'll be watching closely. And if you have any questions, we'd be uh, happy to assist. And with that, we'll close out. Thanks so much to Addie and Allison for joining the podcast. This has been a special edition of The Fastest Five Minutes brought to you by Kroll and Mooring. If you have any questions about these items, I can be reached at 202 624 2807. Addie can be reached at 202 624 2816. And Allison can be reached at 213. 213- three one oh seven nine five seven. Thanks for joining and enjoy the day.
2: The Fastest Five Minutes Podcast is brought to you by Kroll and Mori LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. You can find more information at Kroll.com slash GovCon podcast.